we could write the planet Felspoon. Just cause. What a good name, Felspoon. Apparently it's got mountains that sway in the breeze. Mountains that move. Can you imagine? And how do you know that? Because it's in your head. And if it's in your head, it's in mine. And how does that feel? Brilliant. Fantastic. Molto bene. Great big universe packed into my brain. You know you can fix that chameleon circuit if you just tried hot binding the fragment links and superseding the binary 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 I'm fine. Nah, never mind Phil Spoon. You know who I'd like to meet? Charlie Chaplin. I bet he's great, Charlie Chaplin. Should we do that? Should we go and see Charlie Chaplin, shall we? Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chester, Charlie Brown. No, he's fiction, friction, fiction, fixing, mixing, Rixton, Brixton. Oh my god. Do you know what's happening? Yeah. There's never been a human Time Lord Metacrisis before now. And you know why? Because there can't be. I want to stay. Look at me. Donna, look at me. I was going to be with you. Forever. I know. Rest of my life. Travelling. In the TARDIS. The Doctor Donna. Oh. Oh, but I can't... I can't go back. Don't make me go back. Please, please don't let me go back. Donna. Oh, Donna Noble, I am so sorry. But we had the best of times. Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always, I am joined with... Hello, it's Scott, and yeah, today Hello. is... Hello. <laughs> today is, yes. Today is. Today is. Uh, great um, start to a podcast. This, yeah, this week we are, we are concluding <laughs> our look at David Tennant as we continue through every Doctor chronologically and we take a look at Journey's and yeah. now last week we looked at the stolen earth and we looked at it for about an eternity <laughs> it was about an, an eternity long episode so i'm kind of hoping that this episode's not going to be as long as that but you've uh, you've assured me that it will be twice the length if not three times so yeah well, I, uh, I hope you're strapped in at home <laughs> yeah looking we'll forward see. To, looking forward to this 12 hour 12 hour podcast on journeys and uh, <laughs> but before we before we dive in to the episode scott you've got a bit of a writers writers behind the scenes thingy-majig yeah thing to do if... That's the thing you do the, <laughs> the thing. thing the thing i do yeah if you remember yeah. last week we talked about how russell t davis really struggled getting to his deadline here and he was two days away from a deadline and he only wrote part one of his story so he has part two to write the deadline is on monday he's Hasn't even written a page on the Saturday yet, so this is a nightmare. Uh, one week later, on J- January the 12th, he's only written two pages of his series final, so two pages in one week. Uh, he wound up having to get a piece of A4 paper and having to write, Work, you stupid bastard, in marker pen. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, around the same time, Stephen Moffat writes to him to say he's just started his very first episode. So this is January 12th, 2008, where Moffat is starting his first episode, which is... I, I, I am curious to... I am curious about whether or not Moffat was better at keeping deadlines than Russell, because I, I guess he would have like, been. I feel like like Moffat had to be, because yeah. he was also working on Sherlock at the same time, mm. and both of these are massive puzzle box. And the way that Moffat works is, especially at this time, they're all puzzle boxes where it's like unravel the mystery that's happening. So I imagine he's a very like he likes to have a very meticulous plan laid out for like this is the overarching thing, and then I'll just type out what happens in between it. Um, but you know, maybe he's not. Maybe he makes it up on on the spot as he goes. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, who I've, knows? I, we'll have to ask him. I forgot about Sherlock. Um, I was thinking in terms mm-hmm. of Russell Today was had three Doctor Who shows to oversee. Yeah. Versus, I guess Sherlock isn't because he wrote most of Sherlock's episodes, didn't he? With uh, Mark Gatiss. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, <laughs> him and Mark Gatiss. So I, I just... and he showrunned it as well. So yeah. yeah. And, oh, and uh, yeah. Doctor Who under his tenure was less frequent you know because mm-hmm. with russell d davis he would get a, a series out every spring whereas moffat was i think he took two years off 2016 and another year probably i can't remember but <laughs> yeah he took yeah quite... doctor a doctor who did become slower yeah coming out but also production value went up you know and budgets went like down it seemed at times <laughs> <Yes>. but <laughs> um so john on january 19th russell t davis is near the end of his script but now he's panicking because the script is too long so jane trenter manages to convince the bbc to give him a 60 minute time slot which meant that the filming for a second episode would get extended for a week so it's, it's not just you know Oh yeah, for sixty extra minutes to work with, you have to get the cast in for another full week of production, which sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it does, yeah. Um, on January twenty second, uh, Russell T Davis finally finishes his script for Journey's End. Uh, he's he, he's apparently crying as he writes Donna's exit. Uh, two weeks past the deadline, and he can't get a break because now he's only got three weeks left to write the next Doctor. On January 31st, he has to return to Journey's End to cut some FX shots. He went over the allocated number by 170 shots. So he has to go in and raise 170 special effects shots, which is massive. <laughs> That's a lot of shots. God, that that would have been a, a frustrating day, I'm sure, of like, okay, we can <laughs> cut this by like one little shot. We don't need that. We can get rid of that. The scene still works if we don't have that shot. Like, that must have been a, uh, a tiring day. So he's, he's still working on this episode in February, right around when we're about to shoot this final episode. And he's been terribly ill since Christmas. Um, in February of 2008, he gets chicken pox. And then the following week, he gets bronchitis, which is incredible. <laughs> it's just unluck after unluck, isn't it? You know? And he winds up not being able to sleep because he's been coughing all night. Give me a second. Um, he winds up not being able to sleep because he's coughing all night and he he winds up worrying that it's cancer <laughs> which oh wow Jesus. so he's he's going through so much health yeah, issues right now stress a lot of stress a lot of stress um he finally manages to finish the final draft in march around the day they start to shoot the final episode the final draft was so late but when doctor who confidential shot 
uh, scenes of them doing a table read, they they had to shoot them doing scenes from the first draft, so it's entirely different. Uh, once he's done <laughs> the episode, it's now on to the Christmas episode. The only issue is the deadline is in two weeks, and he has no idea what to write. Which <laughs> absolute nightmare. I mean, after doing the Christmas special, he's on to Torchwood series three, which. Dude, this this guy never caught a break. There's there's no wonder why he left after four years of Doctor Who. Just stress after stress. Yeah, yeah just all the all the deadlines suddenly have, have caught up with him. Yeah, you know it's it's we we've 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 experienced a, a vaguely similar thing with this podcast mm-hmm. where it's like. You know, sometimes we'll have a huge cushioned backlog and we're like, we're so ahead of schedule, we're nailing this, we're getting this. And then other times <laughs> we're recording the Thursday before the episode's supposed to come out. And I, I mean, it's like a massive rush. I mean, a little peek behind the <laughs> curtains, but oh my fucking God, there are still calls. Oh my God. Is your work on fire? Do you need to answer I don't know. This? I don't recognize the number. It's just, I don't understand what's going on They're spamming. Here. It could be important. I'm gonna, if they're spam, it's usually important. I'm going to put it on flight mode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy. Fuck off. I don't recognize him. If they want to contact me, they could just send me a text. But okay. Uh, you were saying sorry. Uh, yeah, I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> we were, you know, we'd have a we'd have a nice backlog, and then we record on Thursday. Oh yeah, well, most weeks we record on the Thursday. To be honest, if yeah. <laughs> at this point, this year we have been yeah, like previous years, and maybe at the start of this year we were really good at creating those backlogs, yeah. and then for whatever reason we've just we've gotten real lazy with it these past few months, and everything's last minute. I think we're just busy. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the problem is I used to work twenty hours a week. Now I'm working forty hours a week, so that's so much more. <laughs> um, but you know Russell T Davis's efforts prove. Uh, paid off in the end because this episode journey's end got 9.4 million viewers and it's the first time doctor who got number one in the ratings so yeah it it really paid off in the end (laughs) but i think that's mainly because of the maybe cheap cliffhanger from last week which i guess yeah where everyone (laughs) is like oh my god is david Tennant about to regenerate wow we yeah uh, russell t davis was actually worried that people would switch off uh within the first minute because there was so much hype about that cliffhanger and there was so much press coverage mm. and he was worried oh maybe i did write it a bit cheaply here <laughs> which i kind of think he did yes. <laughs> yeah it's you know we talked about this last week it's one of those things that you can you can't really keep doing even though doctor who like every showrunner has done it at least once mm-hmm. but you can't you know or twice if you're Moffat, but you can't you can't continue to to do this is it does like an audience will be like okay i can't believe you're doing this again why are you come on i gave you one like yeah um yeah because when but i don't remember i don't remember being upset about it as a kid i remember thinking something was wrong here i remember not being very happy about it but i was 10 years old so i didn't think about why i was unhappy about it i think maybe now Mm -hmm. i think i what i felt a bit cheated i felt that like, maybe they didn't respect me as an audience member because, you know, mm. they, they kind of led me on thinking that the Doctor was actually going to regenerate and then he actually didn't regenerate. And it it felt a bit cheap, felt a bit, you know, <laughs> you know. But I, I mean. think I remember, I remember mostly just thinking, like, oh, it's cool that you put it into his hand. 
Mm. Um, you know, because, you know, I'm eight years old and I'm like, oh, of course, you know, the, the hand from the first time we saw David Tennant, that's so smart. They thought about this the whole time. Definitely didn't think about it the whole time. They made it up. They were like, that's <laughs> very lucky that that happened. You know, but <laughs> yeah, but now, now I, I, now I'm completely fine with the scene. To be honest with you, it's it's fine. It's it, the doctor cheats to death all the time, and the doctor even admits he is cheating to death here, which I think might tie into the 60th anniversary. Where I, mm. I think there's, I think there might be a line where the doctor says, "Oh, I, I cheated death once before in this body," and. Now I'm it, obsessed with this body. Yeah. Look how sexy it is. <laughs> Look how sexy I am in this body. I never want to leave it. Because <laughs> he, he, in this episode, he does have a line to effect of, oh, why would I ever want to get rid of this body? I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, he does. He does like actually say that, yeah. And then I think, you know, in the 60th anniversary, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not David Tennant is going to have a different personality in his 14th form, which is kind of fascinating. I doubt it. I I doubt that he will. I'm imagining he's going to be have essentially the 10th Doctor's personality. We already saw that yeah. when he regenerated, and he's like, I know these teeth. Like, this is, like he's the 14th quote-unquote Doctor, but this is David Tennant's Doctor mm-hmm. to get everyone excited again. This is just a way of bringing him back without having to do another time portal like they did in the 50th anniversary, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be good. <laughs> it's gonna be great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. It's so close as well. Yes, Christ. Then what happens in this uh, episode? <laughs> are, yes, are you ready to jump in now and look at Journey's End? Hell yeah! Uh, yeah, let's go. The prophecy unfolds. The doctor's soul is revealed. <laughs> See him. See the heart of him. <laughs> the man who abhors violence, never carrying a gun. But this is the truth, Doctor. You take ordinary people and you fashion them into weapons. Behold, your children of time transformed into murderers. I made the Daleks, Doctor. You made this. So the episode begins with a quick recap of where everything was happening last time uh, and how insanely fast paced it was and also how like not a lot of story happened. It's basically like the Daleks are here, everyone's in danger, the Doctor's about to regenerate. Okay, go episode. Uh, It's like, Christ, yeah, okay, nothing happened last week, you're right. we then open up to, of course, David Tennant regenerating, uh, and I think if we just we'll just talk about that scene because it, you know it's the it's the big scene that happens. We're cutting back and forth between like Torchwood and stuff as this is happening, uh, and they're like you know they just see like essentially time freeze around the Daleks. Yeah, cause... like they shoot the they shoot bullets at them, and then it's like wait, hang on, there's like this weird like frozen effect thing going on. Yeah, they said Tosh built the technology to kind of put them in like a time bubble, so I think that works. I think that's good enough. And you effectively write out the Torchwood members for this episode, and you don't have to keep yeah, cutting back and forth cars. so much. <laughs> yeah. Because um, most of this episode then, is does take place in one set, which is Davros's ship. Like, 80% of this episode is on that one ship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then David Tennant, we see him regenerate. He's regenerating. I remember being on the edge of my seat as a kid with this, and then he blasts it into the hand uh, and stays as himself, um, which 
is a canonical regeneration. It still counts. Yep. Like, he, he used the regeneration to heal his body, but not change his body. And then he put the rest of the energy into the hand, which grows into another version of David Tennant. But as we found out during Matt Smith's era, this does count as yep. a regeneration. So the 10th Doctor is dead. He gets shot by a Dalek. I'll say hello to the new 11th Doctor. Well, we hello 11th Doctor. <laughs> I wonder how different you're going to be. And you know, um, uh, David Tennant <laughs> was such a fan boy, but he, he was the very first person to have his internal debate with himself, whether or not he counts <laughs> as the 11th Doctor as well as the 10th Doctor, which I don't think I considered this to be a proper regeneration as a kid. And I understand why Stephen Moffat would want to write it in as a different regeneration, because... He's effectively rebooting the show, so but uh, you know yeah. Peter Capaldi wouldn't be the last Doctor, for example. He he could just <laughs> Peter Capaldi is it was technically the first Doctor. Yeah. When he got because you know he was the first Doctor of the new set of regenerations. Yeah. Uh, that he got given by the Time Lords. Not that that fucking matters <laughs> anymore. Anyway, um... and I, I, I remember when Peter Capaldi was revealed to be technically the first of this new set. And people are like, yeah. "Oh my god, it looks like he looks like uh, William Hartnell because he's old." And every every, mm-hmm. every doctor going forward is going to look like where uh, the next doctor the, is going to look the, like yeah. Patrick Troughton. And of course, they hired Jodie Whittaker, who looks exactly like exactly like yeah, exactly like Patrick Troughton. <laughs> Separated crazy. apart, and then of course, <laughs> of course, shoot 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 like you know the stunning image of John Pertwee. It's crazy. I, no, I guess shoot uh, would be Tom Baker. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah of course because david tennant yeah. looks like john burton <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah it's 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 dumb but yeah i didn't think to consider this a regeneration either as a kid but when moffat was like oh that counts as a regeneration i was i immediately i was like okay that makes sense yeah okay i'm 100 percent on board with that idea um i never had any qualms with moffat's uh retconning of it uh but then the doctor's like, oh, give me all hugs and stuff. And Donna's inappropriate towards Captain Jack. Uh, and then we watch the TARDIS get kidnapped by the Daleks in a very silly looking, like, like UFO, um, like, tractor beam thing. Like, it, like, circles around, yeah. like, half of the TARDIS <laughs> and picks it up. Which is, like, a cool effect. But then it just kind of, like, flings it through space. <laughs> like, a really wobbly, like, noodle. <laughs> it, it, Why it, is it so <laughs> flaccid? Why is it such a flaccid fucking... <laughs> Uh, poor old thing. It, it kind of reminds me of Ghostbusters. You know, the proton packs and we're trying to capture the ghost and put it in, in the trap. And that yeah, goes all yeah. noodly, at least when you're playing like the video game. Whenever you're moving yeah. the ghost around, it's all noodly like that. It kind of reminds me of that. <laughs> and also, um, Jackie and Mickey teleport right in front of uh, Sarah Jane Smith, defeating the Daleks, so she can still live on yeah. and go on her spin-off. They were, they, were, they were originally going to arrive at different times in the episode, but Russell Davis made them come at the same time to save Sarah Jane as it saves on vis- visual effect shots. So rather than, you know, two visual effect shots of each one coming in separately, it's, it, they come in mm-hmm. at the same time, which I, I would never consider that to be a little cheat, a little saving the budget there. <laughs> You know, it's, these are the things that come with experience, yeah. you know, these these tiny little details. Uh, but also, like, they defeat the Daleks and save Sarah Jane, but then Sarah Jane's immediately like, okay, let's surrender to the Daleks now. Uh, yeah. Last, lastly, she was like, oh, please don't kill me. I guess, I guess she's out of immediate danger because last episode we were just trying to yeah. kill her. And now she just... But now they want to capture her? Yeah. But why did the other Daleks not want to capture her? Why are the other Daleks so adamant on killing her? Yeah, And these strange. ones aren't. 
Because she's like, oh yeah, if, if if we go up to them without weapons, they'll take yeah, us like, to you, the yeah. spaceship. But you... How do you know that, Sarah Jane? <laughs> Why do you know that? <laughs> like, like, it's a bit of a risk. Yeah. yeah, it is. Especially, like, she didn't have a weapon when she was in the car, mm-hmm. unless they consider the car a weapon. I guess, like... maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then we cut to Martha, who's with her uh, mum, and she's like, uh, I've got to go, by the way, mom, because I work with Unit now, and they want me to mm. blow myself up. Um, so, bye. And, I, I see, this scene is, like, fine. For, uh, for whatever reason, I think uh, Martha's performance, Freema Adjuman, is... It's, re- it's really strange in this scene, where she, like, like holds up her hand, and she's like, Mom, don't do it! Don't come get any closer! And I'm like, I don't believe your performance right now. I don't know what's going on. This is very silly. Mm. Uh, this, this feels like a very silly scene. Um... But I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I don't care about Martha's mum, so I don't buy into the, <laughs> yeah. the drama. Out of like, all the family members that each companion in the Russell T. Davis era has, I'm at least interested in the Martha Jones stuff for some reason. I just don't... Yeah. I, I just never felt that kind of connection to Martha's mum. I don't even remember her name, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. Like, compared to, like, um, Jackie or Sylvia, very strong characters on their own, but something about... Or Rory's dad. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know? These are the three pillars of parents in Doctor <laughs> Who. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny how yeah. well-written... Uh, Rory's dad was for a Chris for that one episode trip. for it's, cr- it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's honestly insane that he's only in one episode because he, he's he's genuinely yeah, so memorable. He is. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but the Martha teleports and she ends up in definitely Germany, not just the woods in Wales. <laughs> uh, this is this is what Germany looks like, and there's a bunch of Daleks speaking German, which is a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, where they're like, you know, exterminata and stuff. There's also does that make? There's like a there's a weird shot here, and I don't know if it is just because of uh, the effect shot being weird or if the lighting is just weird. But there's like a tree that just kind of ends, like it just, it just kind of like ends, um, without being like cut in half or broken or uh, something. I'm gonna send you a photo, yeah, and see <laughs> see if you see what I'm looking at, like, cause maybe it is just like the tree is like snapped, um, but it looks really strange. It just looks like the tree is just coming to a stop. It's a really dark picture. Yeah, um, it's really dark and plusers. <laughs> Yeah, BBC yeah. iPlayer is kind of compressed. Um, yeah, it's hard to make out the detail. Yeah, but anyway, they're, I, I, they're, they're, I presume they're it's just snaps and it's a weird angle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're flying through the woods, exterminating nobody in the woods. Why are they in the woods yelling exterminate? <laughs> who, in, who are who are they hunting down in these woods? They're <laughs> 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 uh, hunting down hippie weirdos. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I I love uh, all the German in this episode because they don't kind of they, they treat the audience with respect. There's no subtitles, and you can you can kind of guess what they're saying, which is kind of cool. And it is it's even more jarring because we don't hear foreign languages in Doctor Who that often. And this kind of reminds yeah. you that Martha's on her own and she doesn't have a TARDIS where it's no translator. She's on her own, which mm-hmm. is... I, I'm i not a big fan of where Martha goes in this episode. It's, it's, it's kind of a least interesting part of the episode for me, but I do like the fact that Martha is on her own because her independence mm-hmm. was her character arc in Series 3 and it would have felt... 
I, it would have been nice to see her with all the other um, companions and the doctors. Two doctors. You know what it would have been. You know what it would be nice yeah. is if she teamed up with Mickey Smith in this. <laughs> just, just so that there was like some explanation mm, or some reason yeah. for why they become a couple at, at the the very end of this series. Mm-hmm. You know, with the uh, the end of time, like. Because the, like these are two characters that have like never met, never had yeah. a conversation, never done anything together. Why not have them team up in this episode so that you can like, reasonably put them together without it feeling really shoehorned in the the regeneration special? You know. Yeah, I was gonna bring this up near the end of the episode, but towards the end of the episode, Mickey Smith kind of runs out and goes towards Jack and Martha because. Yeah. Uh, the intent was that Mickey Smith and Martha Jones would wind up in Torchwood Series 3. However, both actors got busy. So I, I, I don't know if uh, Russell D. Davis has ever spoken about this, what, what the original plan was for the characters. Mm. But I'm thinking there might have been a storyline there in Torchwood Series 3 where maybe they fall in love. And they do have the kind of starting off point of them both kind of feeling betrayed by their loved ones because of the whole uh, doctor and rose relationship like yeah yeah uh, martha obviously never connected with the doctor properly because the doctor was so hung up over she was the rose. rebound she was the rebound yeah, she, companion you know yeah and then the, the, she would be like i love you doctor and the doctor's like i miss rose yeah and then uh, rose literally <laughs> dumps mickey in the middle of nowhere because she just wants to be yeah. with the doctor like that's 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 a that's a jumping off point of our relationship i think could be explored in torchwood series three but obviously it never happened which is a shame um, but it is. That, that would actually be pretty cool. I would have liked to see that. And also, their character arcs in this story is they both want to be independent people. Like, Martha's more so than um, Mickey, because Mickey, at the end of the episode, is like, well, I'm a new free man. I can just go on with my life and start afresh. There's, no, there's nothing in that other world with me, because I don't have a relationship with Rose anymore. My grandma died. And now yeah. there's a new start. See what happens now. Which... I, I, I feel like there should be a big finish audio drama exploring this to be honest <laughs> it's a bit it's it's uh it's a bit uh hard to get uh mickey back into doctor who uh for um recast, recast. i don't know i don't <laughs> um i don't know if there's if there's much calling for mickey to really come back but <laughs> then we get uh we get a really mumbly mumbo jumbo scene with rose and the doctor where the doctor's like but rose you're from the different dimension where time moves quicker so what's happening in your dimension where i'm not there to save everybody did the daleks just kill everybody and rose is like well the universes did universe stuff and then they blipped and blooped and donna was there i was like what are you talking about none of this makes sense (laughs) it's 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 all mumbo jumbo to be like hey madonna you're important actually to the, this plot by the way this is foreshadowing mm-hmm. um, it's it's some fun i like science tech science science talk yeah, it, the, the sci-fi sci-fi mumbo <laughs> yeah um, it's mumbo jumbo but i can i can sort of buy it in the episode i'm fine uh, it's less mumbo jumbly than a lot of doctor who stuff you know techno jargon is like the crux yeah, of what makes jargon. doctor who works <laughs> It's my favorite, and I'm very curious as to how Russell T. Davis comes up with it, because in Star Trek, 
mm-hmm. the way at least they used to do it in like the in uh, next gen and deep space nine and stuff is whenever whoever was writing the episode would get to like a science bit they would just they would write in um like in brackets or whatever like uh science talk or like you know um techno babble and things like that yeah. and then they would have a dedicated person who would then go in and specifically write the techno <laughs> jargon um <laughs> to make it kind of sound mm-hmm. like it was making sense um i'm very curious as to what doctor who does if, if russell t davis is just making shit up or if he's got like a like scientist friend he's like can you make this sound <laughs> like it half makes sense <laughs> like, yeah I, I i can't imagine being russell t. davis and having to write all these planet names and the dimension <laughs> canon and stuff like that just like yeah. how does all this work it's just complicated to keep in your head <laughs> um but the doctors like uh by the way the daleks have stolen the tardis and through a technology that i guess that they have on this big ship but none of the other tardis of uh, the dalek ships they can turn off the tardis defenses yeah so that this is just a door it's like why 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 don't they install that on every of the ships why is that just this one maybe that seems like such a useful <laughs> thing to have I mean, like... well maybe it's just new technology they figured out in like the last few weeks or something <laughs> yeah. you know and also there's, yeah. no, there's no more uh, tardises there's just one tardis in existence so it's not I guess it's expensive yeah. and time-consuming to install them. What do Daleks care about money? What do Daleks <laughs> care about money? They, they're just about True. conquering, <laughs> you know. Like, um, but he's like, that's just a wooden door, so we might as well go out and say hello to all the Daleks. Um, and so everybody goes out to say hello to the Daleks, except Donna, who is still hearing a heartbeat um, as she's like staring off into the distance. And the doctor's like, hey, Donna, just come on out you're not safe in there you might as well just come out and face your death uh but the tardis door slams shut and the doctor's like hey what's all this about daleks you knock that off uh but the daleks <laughs> say that it's not them uh and that the tardis seems to have just shut its door itself uh so rest in peace donna because they're about to melt the tardis mm-hmm. <laughs> in this the, the heart of the ship so the tardis like gets like sucked down a big hole yeah, what I love and dropped ab- into some lava. Well, I also love about this scene. Well, in the scene inside of the TARDIS is uh, Doctor Rose and Jack reminisce about the last time they faced off against the Daleks, and there's kind of like a line where Rose Tyler kind of laughs about defeat, well, about de- trying to defeat the Daleks again, like it's a, a roller coaster they've just been on or something, which is <laughs> which is nice because. None of these actors have, well, these three actors together have never shared a scene together, you know? It's always David Tennant or yeah. Rose or David Tennant and Jack, but not the three of them. But yet you feel the shared history there with just this one scene. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. when Captain Jack came back in the Chibno era, you never felt that kind of connection between the Doctor and Jack. There's no but the issue the issue was is Jack never really got a scene with the doctor. Yeah, true. Jack got scenes with companions he had never met, you know, yeah. where you know, he he like never really got to see or be or interact with the doctor. It was like he shows up next to Graham and he's like, "Oh, Graham, are you the doctor? Uh, you're so sexy. Ha ha ha. By the way, uh the flux is coming or whatever. Bye." Mm-hmm. And then I'm, he like leaves again. Or like <laughs> I, I mean specifically I'm referring to the Dalek episode he was in, that New Year's mm-hmm. Day special where he does yeah. he does save Doctor from space jail, but none of it ever connects to 
their shared past. And I never feel that shared history with each other. It's just, it's just like superficial kind of. It's weird. It's just look. This is a. Everyone liked Captain Jack, yeah. didn't they? Like, I, and Chibnall being like, I used to write Captain Jack in the Torchwood show. I can write Captain Jack again. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, he could. Like, he did feel like Captain Jack when he came back, and it was exciting that he came back. It was just it was missing something because there was no reason for him to be there. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> um. But on the TARDIS, as everything starts to explode and catch fire, as the TARDIS just fucking loves to do in season finales, uh, <laughs> Donna ends up touching the Doctor's um, hand uh, that it got cut off during David Tennant's first ever episode, the Christmas special that I don't remember the, the name of. Christmas Invasion. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, but and when she- also, um, the TARDIS is so destroyed in this episode that even the roundels get destroyed on the walls <laughs> yeah which yeah you they, know they it's a serious danger here. everywhere yeah um and when she touches the hand like regeneration energy starts bursting out of it and then suddenly it grows into a whole ass naked davy tenant um <laughs> yeah and i remember as a kid thinking it was very cool as an adult i'm like this is silly this is a silly episode uh especially what happens with this version of david tennant where he just goes on to be rose's boyfriend Mm, um we'll get there you know it's like yeah it's like this this feels like just a cop-out but yeah nikki david tennant you know there there's a thing with the doctor because matt smith ends up being naked as well Mm -hmm. at one point um being Uh, naked in front of companions yeah uh, christopher Um, eccleston was even naked i think and what I think in it, yeah he was yeah yeah uh, which uh chris eccleston has an eating disorder and it was very uncomfortable for him to be uh mm-hmm. with his shirt off on set but never mind uh david Tennant describes it being very strange to work with all these people uh the cast and the crew for nine months and for one of his final days on this shoot to be him lying on the tardis ground uncomfortable <laughs> in his boxer shorts yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, weird experience. Price of being an actor, eh? <laughs> Price of being an actor. So, Russell um, T. Davis wanted the Doctor clone to happen when the Doctor actually regenerates in the end of time. So, the final 10th Doctor episode would end with Rose getting the clone, but in the end, he decided he didn't want to wait, and he put it in this episode instead, because the concept of two David Tennants running around an episode is just too much fun, basically. Uh, he he also it's like that episode. It's like the episode where there's two Jodie doctors. Remember that one? No. And she, I think that's the episode with the guy with the sleepy fingers that go in your ears. I think that, that that's it, that episode. Um, I, I, it might also just be a random episode of Flux. I don't remember. But there was an episode where Jodie has another Jodie, and she's like, "Wow, you're so sexy, <laughs> me." Yeah, um, I think the episode with the talking frog. He, she turns into Jodie Whittaker yeah, for like two minutes, and also. Um, no, no. There's an episode where not, Jodie is like chained up in prison, chained up and like, in prison. The, like she's like captured. She's like captured on a <laughs> ship, and then she gets saved by like herself. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and also another uh, thing that Russell wanted, he wanted the specials to be unique with no companions and no back references. I mean, obviously he changed his mind because he wanted Wilf to come back and Donna to come back and all those cameos at the end of the end of time. Mm-hmm. So he changed his mind, yeah. obviously. And the reason for regeneration, I already read this part. Um, so when 
we spoke about this moment where Billy Piper might have been unavailable for the shooting because the original plan was to shoot this episode in January. It got pushed back to like February and March instead. And when she wasn't going to be available, there was a moment where uh, Russell T. Davis was like, oh, I, I guess I'll just use this in the final episode, I guess. I, I do wonder what the episode would be like without Billy Piper now, because it, this episode especially would be radically different without a, a, a Doctor clone. Yeah. It w- it, oh, yeah, it would be massively different. It wouldn't, like, so much of this episode revolves around um, the the Doctor clone human man. Um, God, I'm trying to find out what episode this Jodie episode <laughs> is where she... I have no uh, idea what you're talking about. Jodie, <laughs> it happened, I swear. Jodie Whittaker, Doctor... Two, two Jodies? Give me anything. No. It's a terrible no. search. Uh, doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I can't find the episode. If you're listening at home and you know what I'm talking about, please let me know because it's driving me insane. I, I swear it happened. I think I think you just hallucinated it. I think you, yeah. especially, you're a big Jodie Whittaker stan. You love her so much. Your Facebook profile <laughs> is of Jodie Whittaker in that prison drama that's coming out. You just love her so much that you're just imagining it. You want two Jodie Whittakers in a room together, maybe kissing or something. I don't know. <laughs> See, but they flirted with each other. That's the thing. It's in the episode, they're like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, oh, hello. Uh, do you not remember the Jodie flirting with herself? I swear. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, Captain Jack on the ship is like, oh, guess what? Emperor Dalek, dude. Bang. Uh, but then he gets shot uh, by the Daleks and dies definitely permanently. Captain Jack is dead, uh, famously for how <laughs> like how like um, mortal what? Uh, he is. Yeah. They really they really bring up like Captain Jack's always like, "Gosh, I wish I don't die." In every episode he's in, it was. <laughs> and what I love about this is Rose Tyler actually believes he's dead because Rose Tyler doesn't know yeah, he's immortal. Yeah. She just knows. But she brought him back to life. She doesn't know about the immortality, yeah. so it kind of, it it kind of sells the performance to Davros. But yeah, he's dead, so take him away. <laughs> you know, because because yeah. if um, if Rose Tyler didn't have this reaction, you know, I don't think Davros would buy it. Probably, <laughs> I mean, there'd be a lot of questions about why nobody's reacting to Dav- uh, Jack's death. Yeah, why do, why why don't you care that I killed your friend? <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, but. Then we get a very nice scene with, um, what's the name of this version of the Doctor? Um, the, the clone in, version. In the script, they call him Doctor Two, or on the set, they call him uh, a Blue Coat Doctor. So, um, I call him 10.5. Uh, <laughs> okay, so in this scene, Matt Smith uh, and... Um, donna noble are are like talking and we discover that matt smith is like human Mm -hmm. and he's also got donna's personality where like he he like speaks in the same like slang and stuff he's got like the attitude like oh uh, (laughs) that donna's got and he's very cheeky and and funny and it's very fun to see david tennant act like donna and that for Mm -hmm. them to have that like back and forth they've got such a great chemistry together i absolutely love them oh yeah and David Tennant does such a good job about making subtle differences to his performance in this episode where you can just... It's just so impressive to just watch, see how 
subtle his performances can change you know it's, it, it feels like he's a different person almost but still the doctor at the same time it's yeah just so impressive to watch he's a good actor yeah he's a good actor man well what sure. a hot take um <laughs> Yeah, I know. No one else thinks that. Uh, and <laughs> uh, the, also, David Tennant, when he finds out that he's only got one heartbeat, uh, he's like, oh, it's been my heartbeat you've been hearing this whole time. Like, you know, we were like, is she having a panic attack mm-hmm. or freaking out? And no, it was the clone doctor's heartbeat getting sent through time into Donna's subconscious. It's like, did that? I don't think it needed an explanation. Like, I feel like it just being Donna being like, oh, this is kind of scary yeah. is more impactful yeah. than this was secret foreshadowing. Ooh. Yeah. Like, like, I feel like that's explaining stuff that doesn't need to be explained yeah i I feel exactly the same way i prefer it to be an actual companion having an actual human reaction to the circumstances (laughs) she found herself in like i would be scared shitless (laughs) like yeah yeah um this scene does end with a really nice moment where the doctor's like i can now see you i can understand exactly what you're thinking because you feel Mm -hmm. like you're not important but you are important which is really lovely this human side of the doctor can kind of appear and make donna feel more important for the 45 minutes she has left to live (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is it is really nice the episode continues as martha's in germany and she talks to a random german lady in german and then that german lady lets her into this building where the ostergarden key Mm -hmm. is uh but then then she pulls a gun on martha and says something to her in german and martha's like lol bye and the lady's like okay <laughs> that's fine yeah uh, it, it, and then martha martha goes away <laughs> yeah this is what i mean when i don't like martha's plot in this episode that much it's just kind of oh she has to get to point a to point b where it's kind of a uh there's kind of a blockade forming against her but she kind of just ignores it and then walks ahead anyway. yeah just gets just goes through it yeah there's no 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 big no big deal but yeah um, but this castle was supposed to be a little cottage in the middle of the woods according to russell davis's original script but the location was really hard to find they really wanted to find this cottage and couldn't find any in wales you know it's it, you know it's mm. such a small country and just trying to find this one cottage However, on a recce, the location scout was handed photos of the most cinematic cottage in the middle of the woods ever. And Graham Harper went out at midnight, because obviously this was all night shoots, this story. And he went had to go see it for himself. This is February or January of 2008, so he's cold. You know, it's below zero, so he, he, go, he has to go out of his way in the low freezing temperatures. And when he got to the location, he was astonished to find he was in a children's playground and it was a quarter scale. (laughs) Amazing, amazing. So they had to settle on this castle instead. (laughs) But that's that's incredible. That is that's very funny. Uh, the castle doesn't bother me anyway. You know, like a little cottage in the woods. You know, like that's my dream house, and mm-hmm. it would have been very nice to see it. And now I know that I'm not moving to Wales because <laughs> my dream house isn't there. Uh, but the castle like still works. Like it's got this like aesthetic where it's like oh, okay, God. yeah, no, of course there's going to be like a hidden nuclear bomb under here. That makes sense. Um, and uh, yeah, there's one shot of the castle that makes um, Marfa and this German lady seem so small in comparison. Yeah, which I I really like those kind of scale shots. Yeah, they're cool. Uh, 
Oh, Jesus. Uh, the episode <laughs> continues on as Captain Jack is getting incinerated by the Daleks. Uh, they throw him in the incinerator and then leave immediately because they, why would they want to stick around? And Captain Jack manages to escape out because there's an open button on the inside of the incinerator. <laughs> For some reason, like, they installed that. Um, I guess in case they accidentally burned a Dalek that wanted to get out. I don't know why you need a button to open up the bin on the inside. And then uh, a, a, a nice little touch, but as Captain Jack is getting out, you just hear a hint for like a second of the Torchwood theme music, which I really like. <laughs> I really mm-hmm. like the Torchwood music. Yeah, yeah, the torture the Torchwood music is pretty pretty consistently good. Uh, we then get a very good scene with Davros and the Doctor mm-hmm. and Rose is there as well looking at people. Uh, as the spotlight uh, hits the Doctor and Rose, and I mean, not a spotlight, it's a, a, a force <laughs> field. They're they're trapped in a... They can't get out of that light. They're stuck in there forever. It's such a classic Who effect. I love yes, it. Yes, but, like, you it's know... It's so retro. They are in this location for, like, maybe 20, 25 minutes oh, of screen of, time. Yeah, most of the episode. And, yeah. you know, yeah. we keep adding more and more characters into the setting, and it must be so hard to keep everything consistent you know we are standing this far apart from each other where this is blocked like this and davros is moving around and the daleks are moving around and it must i mean obviously david tennant there's two david tennants later on in this scene it must be so hard <laughs> to keep track of and graham harper keep does keep it interesting to look at because we're just standing around in this room for ages and it, and any other director could have just made us look so boring like we've seen classic doctor Who episodes where we spent there's just a wide shot yeah we're just, just a one wide, wide shot, shot yeah. and they're just standing around talking to each other but you're captivated by this scene because it's so well lit yeah. and graham harper manages to find little flares he can do it's it's so well shot. I really like this scene, and it's so interesting as well from a writer's perspective. What Davros and the Doctor are talking to each other about. I love Davros yeah. and the Doctor talking to each other. It's so solid. That's why I was so disappointed in Remembrance of the Daleks, where we only speak for like a minute. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. It's it's. I could honestly watch them talk all day. Like whenever they have a conversation, it's the most interesting thing to happen on the show. Mm-hmm. And the, the conversation they're having in this one is superb as well. Uh, you know, David Tennant's like, let's not bother with the nostalgia tour. I don't really care about like talking about our past or our history. Let's <coughs> Holy crap. Sorry. I got something in my throat. <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about, uh, you know, here and now, uh, the issues that we're facing, right. The immediate, um, which is very fun and the entire time Davros is just poking and prodding at the doctor mm-hmm. and he's like I know you're going to lose Khan has said to me that you're going to lose you know show me he's got this great bit where he's like you know show me who you really are doctor you know let that vengeful murderous spirit inside you come out reveal yourself to your companions who you truly are you know let that lift that veil and stuff and it's just the performance from both David Tennant who's not saying much he's you know but he's just reacting to Davros is it's just it's superb it is 10 out of 10 oh yeah and julian bleach as well is really fantastic in the role of davros and he's he's actually able to emote properly almost you know in the form of davros because his mask is really fucking good in this story you can just feel every movement of his face feels accurate yeah that's been limited by uh, cheap special well cheap masks you know, it's the the improvement of prosthetic makeup mm-hmm. is is not something to gawk at. It's it's incredible. 
it still does look a bit rubbery like it still he yeah, still has like course. this rubber texture to his face but it's it is it is night and day compared to classic <laughs> davros for sure like yeah one of my uh, favorite his behind... mouth is moving you know like that's a win like... <laughs> one of my favorite behind the scenes footage was shot by david tennant because on the dvds he used to do these video diaries of him walking around on set and stuff and there's one scene where he's with Liz Sladen and they're having a conversation just about David Tennant is like, oh yeah, it's so important that you're here because you're so loved. And Liz Sladen is actually having quite an emotional moment because she's sitting there remembering the last time she shot uh, an episode with the Daleks and Davros. And she's sad because Michael Wisher, who played Davros, is no longer with us and the director of that episode is no longer with us. And she's having quite a moment there. Oh, and she kind of looks to the right of her, and then she suddenly sees Davros in full makeup and costume, reading the script intensely, and then David Tennant and uh, Sergio, uh, and Liz Sladen kind of just giggle to each other because it's so funny just to see, uh, you know, Davros sitting there reading the script. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like I sent out one image of uh, Davros standing up, and it looks so funny. <laughs> Yeah, Davros, Davros in any setting outside of being this arch evil Dalek villain, like Davros in real life as a human being, like doing regular stuff, it is amazingly funny. <laughs> like you can yeah. just imagine him eating between takes. Like, how does that work? Yeah, I like guess, having a sandwich. Yeah, yeah I, I guess like... <laughs> it, I guess he'd have to eat liquid food because that's what the Sontarans would eat. Yeah, but I guess he could open get, his mouth like wider. A... I don't know. What would he eat? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know you know you could get a smoothie through hello? a straw and something like that you know um hello 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 oh shit my headphones okay ah, ah, <laughs> my headphones disconnected for like a minute <laughs> right I was about to say I can hear you clear as day Are you okay <laughs> that was so weird <laughs> just disconnected I'm connected again um, it's a good day for you it is a great day. I love it. Technology at its yeah. finest. <laughs> uh, the episode the episode continues on as um, we see Mickey Smith and Sarah Jane and Jackie all get rounded up with the other like uh, humans to go be Thanos mm-hmm. away. But they Mickey and Sarah Jane manage to slip away when no one's looking at them because one lady <laughs> falls over. It's very silly. Yeah, there's like there's uh, um, probably like they're 40, surrounded. There's so many people surrounded them, by yeah. forty like, Daleks just hovering around and sitting around, and not one of the Daleks sees Mickey and Jackie. Or sorry, Mickey and Sarah Jane Smith kind of slip away. That's incredible. That's, that's an incredible <laughs> leap, leap of logic. But before we get to this scene, there's a scene where we just cut to them briefly, um, about to j- just walk into where where they're going to be exterminated. And Sarah Jane Smith is like, "Oh, good, one step closer to the doctor. We 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 don't need that. <laughs> we don't yeah. need that scene. Yeah. <laughs> we understand." <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 very silly. Uh, we also, as this is happening, we cut to Donna and Clone Doctor Man Matt Smith, and uh, they're just talking science mumbo jumbo. They're like, "Oh yeah, of course, the twenty-seven planets are being moved here because of the neutrino science words," uh, and it's it doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah, uh, the, uh, the, then... the doctor's just staring at the computer, and it's it's not very interesting. Yeah. It's basically what it would be like if Episode One didn't have a doctor meet the shadow proclamation where we're just staring at scanners all the time at maps yeah yeah um 
And then, like, Mickey, uh, through, like, a window that is conveniently placed to look at all the humans mm-hmm. that are about to die, tells Jackie to use her teleporter thing because conveniently it's recharged right now so she can use it to, yeah. to escape this this immediate death that she's in. Um, also, and she, pre- she says, I, I'm so sorry to one of the ladies, teleports away, and immediately is not sorry at all. She's very happy, <laughs> she's very happy uh, because <laughs> she smiles and hugs Mickey. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, there's no consideration um, about others. There's no sense of the need to save these people. It's just like, oh, I guess I, I'll just go now. I'll never mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, what do you think about the effect of um, being turned into atoms? <laughs> the thanos effect uh i think it's fine i think it holds up pretty well i think it's insane how many times i have seen this effect and yet when i was watching endgame it felt like a brand new effect i was like wow that's so cool uh even though like i've i've seen people turn into dust and turn into atoms a million times (laughs) there was nothing new about it yeah for some reason i like i was just like oh yeah that's a cool effect and then like everybody did it for the meme but like you know this is this is way back in 2008 and we're seeing the thanos effect and it looks Mm -hmm. you know it looks about the same quality as the stuff you'd see online now yeah. uh, from the, the memes and parodies. Like, it looks fine. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the only thing I can see when I see it and I'm like, Thanos! You know, because Marvel <laughs> has ruined everything. Um, yeah, but, you know, for a, for a 2008 TV show, um, it's decent enough. They are T-posing to make it so much more they are, easier on yeah, the special ar- effects. Arms people. out, let's not move. Yeah. <laughs> and this was actually going to be a longer sequence, but they had to shut down. They had to cut down a number of the shots just to save special effects shots which is wise investment you know you want more special effects shots later on when we're moving the earth you're not that interested in people turning into atoms but you know yeah and i do wonder if you know now russell t davis might not have to worry about cutting down special effects shots because of the disney stuff you know he could keep those 170 yeah. shots he had to cut down so that's exciting but at the at the same time, I, I don't know if we need constant effect shots. No, you know, of course I, not. I, I, sometimes, I, sometimes I think Doctor Who's at its best when it's a bottle episode and they're like, we had no budget for this episode, <coughs> so we just had to stick them in a cupboard. Yeah. Uh, I was like, wow, that's the best episode <coughs> I've seen in years, though. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Midnight is one of the best episodes yeah, for that reason. Yeah, such a it's... good episode. And yeah. also, with a bottle episode, you get such a sense of claustrophobia and it just seeps in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we need to do Midnight. <laughs> It's a good episode. It is a good episode. I haven't seen it for years. Um, I rewatched it recently. Um, and we then continue on as Davros explains that he's Thanos and destroyed everybody. <laughs> and we see uh, we see Wilf and stuff on the planet Earth as Daleks are just mm-hmm. everywhere. And they're like, gosh, we're pretty screwed. Then Captain Jack bursts through to meet Sarah Jane, Mickey Smith, and Jackie Tyler. And uh, he gives Mickey a big hug, and he's like, "Oh, you're so cute!" Mwah. And then they uh... <laughs> wait, wait, which, 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 I can't watch this scene without thinking of the actual actors. You know, when Noel Clark got into a lot of trouble, and he pointed fingers at John Barrowman and was like, "Oh, look what he did for!" <laughs> like, like yeah. it's so hard to not, see, it's so hard to see them together and not think of their shared what happened afterwards. It's insane to think about. <laughs> yeah the future is a curse for yep. sure um 
Sarah Jane then is like, by the way, I've got a son with no belly button, and I've also got this bomb <laughs> in my pocket. Do you want to do something with this bomb? Um, it's like, why, what was the point of mentioning that you had a son here, Sarah Jane? You're just giving unnecessary background detail um, to somebody that guarantees, like, Captain Jack doesn't give a shit if you've got a son or not. <laughs> like, <laughs> and also, also, they know you have a son because he just, well, I guess Captain Jack knows she has a son because he communicated to him last episode. <laughs> Yeah. Like, uh, it's not important at all, is yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's not important at all. Um, I guess it's if you missed last week's episode and you haven't seen the Sarah Jane Adventures. It's oh, yeah. So that you can be like, That's a oh, good point. okay, give some stakes. Also, just a little reminder um, that she does have a son, so when Luke pops up later, you're not like, who the fuck is this kid? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are we looking at this random fucking confused-ass kid? Uh, but, uh, but as this is going on, Captain Jack's like, oh, cool, I can do something with that bomb. We then see Martha Jones working on her bomb, and we see... Uh, Matt Smith, sorry, not David Tennant, and Donna Noble working on their plan, which is to backfire the neutrino, whatever yeah. the hell thing, into the Daleks instead. So we have three different doomsday devices all getting built at the same time, which is very funny. Um, and leads to a very, very good scene where Donna like breaks through onto the command call uh, to start chatting with the Doctor and Davros, being like, I'm going to blow up everything. This is the the Ostergarden device is a thing to blow up the Earth to yeah. you know save humanity you from a Donna? greater torture. No, Martha. I, I, I'm pretty sure you said Donna, because <laughs> I was confused. Nah. Today. <laughs> uh, you just weren't listening, pal. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, you know, the Doctor's got a funny line where he's like, why would they call it the Ostergarden? Like, who invented the Ostergarden uh, device? Ah, probably someone called Ostergarden. <laughs> anyway. Uh, like- <laughs> which, which I love, because you often have stupid questions like that. And it makes sense for the Doctor to be like, yeah. who'd call it? Oh, I guess that makes sense. And also, yeah, there's a lovely yeah, moment sense. where uh, Martha and Rose kind of communicate to each other, and she's like, oh, thank God he finally found you. <laughs> like, he was going to yeah. kill himself because he was just so heartbroken <laughs> over your he was, he was, the entire time I talked to him, and he'd be like, shut up, you're not Rose. And then I'd cry into a flannel. Uh, uh, poor Martha. And then Captain Jack, Captain Jack joins a call and he's like, I've also got a bomb. Uh, and we get a cool <laughs> reunion with Sarah Jane and Davros. Yes. Where Sarah Jane's like, I'm not on Classic Who anymore. I have agency, <laughs> by the way. Uh, I'm not going to spend <laughs> 20 minutes of a Sarah Jane Adventures walking through a power plant, okay? <laughs> 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 but yeah, what? Well, yeah, just a, just a little callback here. It's just, again, it makes. It's. it's 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 like yeah. 33 years in the making and you just feel the history between these two characters because any other writer would have maybe forgotten about the fact that they met before but russell d davis has such great attention to detail that every time a character interacts with each other in this episode he remembers the history he remembers when yeah. captain jack and mickey glass met they were kind of bantering with each other playfully he remembers um sarah jane and davros meeting in the past like and it's such an important sense of history and continuity that most other show again most other showrunners forget about like chibnall for example and we keep bringing them up but yeah. <laughs> for a reason yeah uh but uh it's also 
I was going to have a point to say. Yeah, anyway, Davros continues on, uh, and he's like, See, Doctor, this is what you do. You don't carry a gun. You don't ever kill. Sometimes you don't kill. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't do this and that. You're, you're this, like, pacifist dude. But everyone around you turns into a weapon. Anyone that's traveled with you is out to kill. You know, look at all your companions, all your friends, all ready to kill in your name immediately. And David Tennant, like, he's not really saying yes. anything. He's, but he's got this amazing look on his face of just, like, sadness and anger and grief all torn into one and the lighting is perfect on him it looks amazing oh god david tennant is just perfect at acting as a heartbroken man you know like every time he's yeah. sad you feel sad for him it's incredible just just yeah. the little movements of his body language he is such a good actor i love him so much <laughs> <laughs> but too bad we never see him again <laughs> as the dog i know yeah. it's so sad <laughs> But also, I forgot, I, I, should, I should mention this by now, but I love the fact that Davros's story in this episode is kind of tied back to the conversation he had with Tom Baker in Genesis of the Daleks, where Tom Baker's like, what would you do if you had an atom bomb that could destroy an entire civilization? And Davros just goes crazy with the concept that he could destroy the entire universe. It could be yeah, his. Yeah. And that all ties back into here. It's kind of what Stephen Moffat does by kind of having the Doctor go back in time and save baby Davros, which I'm not a fan yeah. of. I feel like it's too similar to Genesis of the Daleks, the fact that uh, Peter Capaldi can't kill baby Davros because for the same reasons as he can't kill the baby Daleks. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that episode maybe next year. We'll have a lot to say yeah. about that episode. <laughs> I'm sure we will. I'm sure it'll be another long one. Um, <laughs> but we also, we then get a flashback as David Tennant remembers every single, or not every single person, but like some people that have died in his mm. name throughout the show. Um, weirdly, we see Jenny, uh, which, you know... I, I, the doctor i guess assumes that she's dead even though she escapes in the rocket at the end of the episode he's not there to witness that so but it's it's a weird inclusion because us as an audience know she isn't dead yeah. um we also see um uh river song which is nice it's nice to see river song again it's cute uh a nice little goodbye to her character that we'll definitely never meet <clears throat> or learn about uh, in future episodes um, yeah this, this... and a bunch of other people yeah. the absorbaloff ladies there <laughs> yeah uh, a <laughs> everybody who was a victim to the absorbaloff invite linda group is here which is kind of wild yeah. because i don't think he ever met most of them you know <laughs> like like yeah no he straight <laughs> up like didn't meet like any of them until he like met the like, like I, pavement person really, i I, like. I guess he saw some of them on peter k's body like one of them was on peter k's ass for example yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that episode is insane we need to cover love of monsters <laughs> it's it's not a good episode I, see uh, the I'm, thing <laughs> is it's, it's better than the episode afterwards you know the one with the girl in 2012 who can do the drawings and trap the, the, the olympics yeah the olympics episode yeah i, I prefer see, it i remember episode. see as a as a as a kid i did not like the absorbaloff episode and i did like the olympics episode. as, as a kid yeah. i felt the exact opposite we need to cover these episodes well. now <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this this, uh, this sequence of montages is a direct um reference to the fact that the doctor finds out that harriet jones uh, essentially committed suicide here to sac yeah. she sacrificed herself for the greater good the greater good <laughs> the greater good yeah but yeah um 
it reminds me of just, you know, like a decade later in Chris Chibnall's run, when that old man uh, sacrifices himself to stay, to stay behind on Gallifrey as it's been destroyed for the billionth time, you know? <laughs> and the Doctor is like, oh, okay then, bye. <laughs> you know, she, she doesn't care, she doesn't give a shit about anything. And then later on yeah. in the episode, the Doctor is like, my clone committed genocide. Wanted to commit genocide. I can't. I can't have him around. You need to save him. <laughs> like he gives a shit about the fact that people committed genocide here, which again doesn't really tie into the Chibnall era, where the Doctor commits g- genocide left, right, and center. <laughs> it's it's her favorite thing to do. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so the episode continues as Davros is like, "We're going to destroy everything. It's going to be super cool." And then he has a wee little giggle to himself, where he's like, "Hee hee hee!" And then, yeah. uh, oh no, the TARDIS has shown up. What? But I thought the TARDIS was destroyed. And then David Tennant comes out the TARDIS. What? I thought David Tennant was captured by Davros. What's going on? <laughs> uh, but then, like, like an, I don't understand. I don't understand what he does because he has a gun. And he's designed this gun to fuck up Davros and the Daleks, right? Mm-hmm. And instead of just shooting Davros where he is, presumably, like, it's a gun. Like, it's going to reach him. He decides, like, oh, i got a full sprint. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to run, and I'm going to run a straight line as well. <laughs> uh, there's nothing to cover by, cover me. There's Daleks everywhere. But right now, I'm going to run in a straight line. And then, oh, my God, he gets shot. Who saw that coming? Uh, and he drops the gun. Yeah, maybe and it's, then maybe, Donna... maybe it's short range. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe, maybe, but he's not that far away. <laughs> like, it's not that big of a room. Uh, <laughs> uh, then Donna runs out and grabs the gun, but then she gets shot as well. And then they destroy the gun. And then the credits roll, and it's very sad. Um, <laughs> yeah, Donna's dead. <laughs> Everyone dies. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Uh, but instead, uh, Donna, like, jumps up and starts fiddling around the controls and saying a bunch of techno babble. And this is like we get the reveal that oh my god she's got part time lord in her as mm-hmm. well because when she touched the hand some of the regeneration energy went into her and Davros zapping her woke up that part of her brain don't worry about it it's, it's fine uh, <laughs> yeah it, it doesn't make any kind of sense to me to be honest with no it's, it's all it doesn't it's all bullshit but again I just wonder what this how Donna would be written out of a show if this clone doctor wasn't in the program yeah. Like I would she have just died? I don't know. <laughs> like uh, Yeah, or like or it's it's she becomes Doctor Donna much faster. So like the same thing happens, but when she touches the hand instead of growing a new doctor, she just gets the mm-hmm. energy in her, then she's like, Whoa, that was weird. Anyway, I gotta try and figure out wait, I know all this stuff now, you know, and then you get basically the same outcome without the sex doll doctor existing. <laughs> Um, yeah, he is a sex doll doctor. That's a good description to have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's also it's very fun seeing Donna have to sound like the doctor. You know, before we saw David Tennant try to sound like Donna, now we're seeing Catherine Tate trying to sound like the doctor, and I think she does a great job of it. I think she she manages to say all the techno babble stuff, which is literal nonsense, <laughs> but make it sound like in a believable way. And it's so strange to hear her character talk like that as well. It's brilliant. Oh yeah. It kind of reminds me of the conversation we have whenever we're doing a doctor and ace episode where Sylvester McCoy wanted the character of the doctor to teach, to eat, to teach ace, um, yeah. techno barbell stuff because he wanted the last lines to learn less complicated lines. <laughs> 
And Donna's given so much complicated lines here. It must be so difficult for Catherine Tate to learn. But the thing about Catherine Tate is, she is so good in the role of Donna. I remember being a kid hearing that Donna was coming back for series four. And I was kind of annoyed by it because I did not like Donna as a character in wow. series three. I, I just felt like the character was a bit too too much and i was really missing rose at that point so any kind of mm. replacement for rose would be an instant disapproval for me but <laughs> when you know as Catherine tate goes along in series four as she reaches the end she's she's really good she really nails the role because she never really did any dramatic kind of work before this where she has like a character arc or anything like she's mostly known for sketch comedy stuff so yeah you know sketch comedy is obviously a really good uh start for to, to become a dramatic actor because you know bob odenkirk started in dramatic and uh, in sketch yeah. comedy uh, you find you find it a lot a lot of comedic actors do dramatic roles extremely well mm -hmm. you know it's it's a it's a common theme where like you can look at so many different comedic actors and then they've done a dramatic performance where it's like holy crap that you know you, you, that that's an amazing performance you know you got like jim carrey like um uh what's his name robin Captain williams Hook. Robin Williams, Captain yes, uh, yeah, that's who he was in Hook. He was Captain <laughs> Hook. Remember, he played he played the titular character. The movie's called Hook, no, and yeah, it stars Robin okay. Williams. So, yeah. what else is it about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, there's just there's there's countless Bob Odenkirk, as yeah. you said, comedic actors that go on to do dramatic roles, and they're all they're brilliant. Uh, Ricky Gervais is really really good in Afterlife. You know, yeah. like he's he's it's. There's there's so many so many so many examples. It's brilliant, and it's a shame that Catherine Tate's not really gone on to do as many dramatic roles since Doctor Who. Like after this series of Doctor Who, she ends up going to the Office uh, in a couple years' time. It's like season like five or six, or, or I think she shows up in the U.S. Office. Uh, she's a she's a recurring role as well. She becomes a character in that, and she's great. Um, a lot of people don't like her in yeah, that show. She's in the office um, for thirty four episodes. She's in a TV. Yeah. She was in a, in a program called Big School that lasted twelve episodes. All right, that sounds bad. Two thousand thirteen and two thousand fourteen. She was in the Nan TV show, which is a spin-off of her sketch comedy show. She played the Nan in an, also in a movie. Oh my God, that got a movie. Yeah. I remember that got a movie and I'm like, what the fuck? I've never even heard of this show and this movie looks atrocious. Yeah. <laughs> She's also in a movie called yeah. Super Bob. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, which, uh, yeah. yeah. She's in the movies called uh, Monster Family, which, yeah. <laughs> These are certainly cho career choices, but you know, at least I'm looking forward to her coming back into Doctor Who. I'm sure she's going to be great. Um, oh, she was in DuckTales for back. nine episodes, which is fun because I was oh, like David Tennant. David Tennant's in DuckTales. Yeah, she yes. he was Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she's not really, yeah, she's not really done any. She was in a the brilliant world of Tom Gates, which is a animated show, I guess, but nothing dramatic yeah. really, which yeah is a shame. <laughs> it's a shame, yeah, because she is she's genuinely very good. I, I mean, uh, I also... mean, we, she also did a load of like Shakespeare plays with yeah. mostly with David Tennant. So, <laughs> hmm. but yeah, nothing. It's nice that they they're still close. Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, because you know that's why that's, yeah. why that's the main reason why we're back because we want main, to... the whole reason they're back is because they were texting, being like, "Hey, this would be funny, wouldn't it?" Yeah. Uh, but, 
But we then, we find out that uh, as everything starts to explode around them and the good guys start to win, that Dalek Khan actually foresaw this happening. And he had betrayed Davros. All the Daleks start like freaking out, and there's some fun scenes with like people like just pushing over yes. Daleks, like it is classic Who, and like kicking them and stuff like that. And which um, I adore because you know, you know Sarah Jane looks so happy to be pushing over a Dalek again. And there's a there's a great <laughs> interaction between Sarah Jane and Rose, where they're just so happy to be together again, see each other. And that's just one line, yeah. one exchange. And you can just, again, just sense the history these two characters have had together. It's great stuff. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. And uh, Dalek Khan is like, I fell through time and I saw what the Daleks did and that are. And I thought to myself, no more. Uh, which is even more brilliant after the 50th anniversary yeah. because Moffat is a genius man um, <laughs> and made that phrase into something that has a lot of meaning, you know, uh, and a lot of impact on both the Doctor and the overarching mythos of, like, the Time War and stuff like that. Um, it's such a neat little detail that I'm sure Moffat had watched this episode before writing the 50th anniversary and then laughed at himself going, ha, I'm so smart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just five years later, we'll see David Tennant in an episode that also has no more in it. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> we also the do as everything's like on fire and falling apart the doctor still he goes to the davros and he's like come with me like mm -hmm. i can save you you know like you're i know you're this arch evil person and you're never gonna stop but you know i will still save you i'm still the good guy at heart and davros is like no lol you're responsible for my death that's on you bye ha 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 um even though it's not the last time we'll see yeah. Davros, we'll see him again. He always escapes. Uh, as, yeah. And also, you know. what, what I love about this scene is there's little glances where the Doctor is looking at Donna and he's kind of concerned about Donna having yeah. half Time Lord DNA and Donna's looking at the clone of the Doctor, kind of concerned that he's committed genocide. Whereas, yeah, because yeah. he's blowing up all the Daleks now. Yeah, you can just feel a great sense of how each character is going a bit uneasy yeah, ev yeah every thought process is communicated really well in this scene like it's it's incredible work because you have like oh about 10 companions in the same room together that's insane <laughs> 10 characters together yeah. in the same room there's also davros and a bunch of daleks but yet you understand where everyone is you understand what everyone's yeah. thinking. You understand what everyone's doing. You're not, you're you're not thinking. Oh, wh where's this person going to? <laughs> like every character mm -hmm. is taken into account for, which is perfect. Like there's so much going on in this scene, and you can just still feel the human con in connections between each person and the emotions. And yeah. it's just yeah, it's really good. <laughs> uh. And then everybody is inside the TARDIS, and it's very cool to see the TARDIS filled with this many people, and they end up phoning up um, Torchwood, and we get a fun little scene where it's like, oh, Gwen, you were in that episode <laughs> in Series 1 where you were a Victorian lady. Uh, is that got anything to do with anything? And she's like, yeah, I guess I was related to them. And they go, wow, mm. look at that. Loose end tied up. So cool. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the best part about, you know, this era of Doctor Who. Every break, every time a character got recast, and every time an actor, sorry, yeah. got recast into another character, they acknowledge it somehow because... The actress who played Tosh was in World War Three, the Slovene episode, and they explain it in Torchwood as, 
because oh, uh, she she was a doctor in the uh, the Doctor Who episode, and she's not a doctor in Torchwood. So they explained it as, oh yeah, Owen, the doctor for Torchwood, had a hangover that day, so Tosh took his place, <laughs> which is a great little bit of continuity, which is, I really like, again, just a continuity about Russell T. Davis's era, which I'm so excited about getting into again. Like, just, yeah. just the reward for watching all of Doctor Who, you know? <laughs> so great yeah yeah no it's it it is pretty great um and then you know we see luke with no belly button briefly and mr smith and they do some shenanigans and the doctor's like hey by the way the tardis is designed to be piloted by six people yeah which i don't know if that's ever been established canon before this moment Um, Um, i'm not sure if it's been established in the canon as in the actual writing but you know when the person who designed this version of a TARDIS console, designed the TARDIS console, he explicitly said to Russell D. Davis, it, he said, this, uh, this design of a TARDIS is designed for six people to pilot it, if you ever choose to. Mm. And Russell T. Davis kept it in his back pocket for years, and it finally has a payoff, which is incredible. Like <laughs> It is, yeah. It's a brilliant little payoff where you see all six people uh, or like more than six people how many one two three four five six seven eight people including um jackie even though she's not allowed to, to <laughs> the um but <laughs> you know you see all these people around the the tardis console all flicking switches and pressing buttons and it feels like such an earned moment mm-hmm. because these are all characters we care about all together oh christ donna's there as well there's even more uh you know there, there's, she's, <laughs> there's there's all these people that we care about all these characters that we love all of them now smart enough and now familiar enough with the TARDIS and the Doctor to be able to pilot the TARDIS, not just stare at it in awe. You know, everyone's come such a long way that they're actually mm. able to help out, and it's it's so cool. It, it's such a cool moment. It kind of reminds me of Thor's hammer, you know? Everyone's now worthy enough to control the TARDIS. <laughs> like, you know, the Doctor's usually like, no, no, you can't touch the TARDIS. It's, it's, it's too complicated for you to follow. But now, yeah. everyone is worthy enough to... Because we've all changed in so many different ways. And in this scene, Martha looks at the camera, which I I really like she because... Does. Yeah, she just kind of looks in the camera and smiles, which I take it as us, the viewer, are also the Doctor's companion, which is cheesy as hell, <laughs> but it's a really good thought because... You know, we've been yeah. we've been on this journey with the Doctor as well. You know, we're companions to yeah. the Doctor essentially. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. I get I get what you're taking at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I always just viewed it as like well, this is first person the Doctor, but you, the way that you know you're looking at that shot, it it does make sense and it makes it a bit more of an impactful shot. Um, I mean, of course, we get K nine briefly. He he flew in from Australia yes. to film this scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And he's very excited about it by the size of his little button on his head. <laughs> uh, it's very erect out of his coming out of, out of his body. Uh, and th- you know, we see they like start dragging the Earth back through space, which causes like horrendous <laughs> earthquakes and millions of people to die for some reason. But don't worry too much about it. Uh, then when they finally get the Earth back into the same spot, which again it makes no sense because space is you know we're constantly moving through space, so the Earth is now it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, they're like <laughs> you know they're like yay we got everything back and like we see Wolf and that and like he like headbutts this random ass ball that he's holding. Uh, which, you know all excited. Yeah, lies. and you know for a fact that Bernard Cribbins decided to do that 
by himself. You yeah. Because he. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's such a. Cute... Like, I need to be holding like a prop or something. <laughs> it's such a cute little moment. But yeah, every everywhere is there was an earthquake. I wonder how many cities got ruined by floods and just yeah. <laughs> buildings collapsing and people dying. But never mind about that because the next scene, everyone's on Earth and everyone's fine. Nothing everyone's happens. Okay. Yeah, everything is everything is completely fine. Like, you can imagine that uh, maybe this is, like, two weeks later, you know? Because the Doctor has a time machine. <laughs> it doesn't need to be immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Except, you know, he has a time machine, but he everything is always immediate. Everything is always <laughs> linear. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, Russell T. Davis was actually tempted to kill off a character for marketing. Uh, he decided between Rose, Martha, Donna, Sarah Jane, Captain Jack, or Mickey, one of them will die. He wanted that to be the main bit of the um, marketing for the episode. But Phil Collinson, the producer, this is his, this is his actual final episode, actually. Uh, but he pointed out that Mickey was the most disposable. He wasn't a central character. And Russell D. Davis actually hated this idea of killing off Mickey because of a stereotype mm. of a black lead always dying yeah. and he's like yeah it's political correctness but it's it's political correctness it's called that for a reason you know and then <laughs> you know we, we cut to the, a year and a half later and mickey and martha get together and that's also <laughs> a very yeah um yeah i'm not i'm not calling russell d davis a racist or anything because you know when you're at the end of like six years of writing Doctor Who, and you're under so much stress, you, your your final pages are less important to you. You're like, I I just want this over and done with. I'm over it, <laughs> you know. So I can understand why maybe that didn't come across, and also maybe he wanted, maybe he had other plans for Torchwood Series Three, but he also considered bringing Alonzo Frame from Voyage of a Damned back and have him become one of the companions and then kill him off in a heartbreaking scene. And then he decided against a marketing gimmick in the end because he wanted a happy scene where the six companions pilot the TARDIS, which, again, just feels earned. And if somebody died like five minutes ago, it, it wouldn't feel the same. You know, it's victorious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I get, I get what you're saying. I get what he's, what he's thinking as well. Um, but still, you know, the death that happens in this episode, I think, is more impactful. Yes that than an actual literal death i think the metaphorical death is more heartbreaking um for donna you know yeah we'll get to that because um, it's 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 heartbreaking <laughs> the episode continues as the doctor lands the tardis in like a public park uh to say goodbye to everybody um and he first off starts off by saying goodbye to Sarah Jane, who is very excited to be going back to her belly buttonless son. <laughs> and yeah, it's it... <laughs> it's a sweet goodbye. It's over really quickly, I think, the goodbye between her and the doctor. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, it's very nice as well. It, it, it's over very quickly because he has to say goodbye to like five more characters. <laughs> yeah. It's insane how many characters he has to say goodbye to. And it's 12 minutes left. But yeah, but... the twelve minutes is literally just saying goodbye. Yeah. But yeah, the scene between uh, Sarah Jane and David Tennant is just really lovely. As always, I I always love their goodbye scenes together. He's going all the way back to the hand of fear, which is the best part of that episode. Like every uh, yeah. every time yeah. the Doctor and Sarah Jane have to say goodbye, you know it's gonna hit you in the feels. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Mickey says goodbye to Jackie in a very sweet way where he's like you know i'm gonna miss you the most you're my favorite um which i think is 
it's very cute that you know like you know because jackie even though she did accuse mickey of murdering her daughter uh <laughs> <laughs> you know kind of fills that motherly role for mickey still yeah. um and they they are very nice together but mickey's like you're going to be sent back home and there's no place for me in the other dimension because rose has got this new sex toy doctor so i'm going to be i'm going to stay on earth this time uh and as martha and captain jack say goodbye to the doctor uh captain jack is like hey martha wanna be in torchwood and martha's like not really because i'm gonna go do <laughs> movies with the wachowskis yeah uh, I, I think she was actually busy doing law and order uk with peter davison i think was in that wow. show as well so she went to do a tv show with david Tennant's uh father-in-law which is kind of crazy <laughs> Yeah, and then as, as as they're walking away, Mickey goes to join them, and he's like, "I'm not going to join Torchwood either." Um, but you know, since you since you said that the plan was for them to be mm -hmm. in the next season of Torchwood, I am just now very bitter that they're not in it because I I desperately want to see that season yeah. with Mickey Smith and Martha Jones in Torchwood. I think <clears> that'd be amazing. But um, you know, we'll we're we're going to actually get to Children in Earth next year, and I can't imagine them actually fitting into Children of Earth. It's very strange. But yeah. I guess we can try and pick up on some plot threads where we might have fit in. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Um, then back in the TARDIS, the Doctor takes them to the Mirror Universe because there's like a, a wide opening into it, even though the, the reality bomb is closed. Don't worry about it. Like they can visit there for mm -hmm. now and they won't be able to ever visit again because of shenanigans. Um, what, I love in this, what I love about this is there's a, there's a look between the two Doctors. And obviously the, the clone doctor knows that the doctor is going to dump him on this other yeah. earth, which I really like. It's like, again, just like a little great character beat where the clone yeah. doctor knows what's going to happen. And he's like, you know, I have to dump him here because he's a maniac that committed genocide on Daleks. <laughs> and that just, like, that's just unacceptable. You can't genocide anybody, even if they're Daleks. Um, and then, of course, we then flash forward to Jody not only genociding the Daleks, but also the TARDIS yeah. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just blowing everybody up. And it was very dumb and bad. Anyway, but yeah, they were, uh, they were shooting at this scene at Bad Wolf Bay for, like, all day, basically. And it, it got to the Christ. point where all the actors are sinking in the sand because the tide is coming up <laughs> they have to stand on boards at the end of a shoot and also you know amazing having to shoot two sides of david tennant must be time consuming as well like well you have to change yeah, your clothes and stand over there and, then and flip over yeah but you know considering that it, it's well shot you don't really pay attention to the fact that maybe the sun is moving around constantly <laughs> during the scene it's incredible and also this yeah. is this is shot in winter so days are quite short as well so it's, it's impressive how yeah. much we got sh shot here and russell t davis actually struggled to get this moment working he spent the most time on this scene because Ro he basically says that rose has to be stupid enough to fall in love with a clone this isn't her doctor and he couldn't work out why rose would just go off would, wouldn't just go off in the tardis with the real doctor and he was upset because the Bad Wolf Bay scene in Doomsday was a great scene. And he thought this, well, the initial draft of this scene was just absolutely rubbish. There was no emotional attach mm. attachment to this version of the scene. And um, <clears throat> there was a point where he thought of Rose being contaminated by void stuff. So she'll have to stay in an alternative world, otherwise she'll just die or something. But then he remembered, oh shit, I just left Mickey on our version of Earth. 
and uh, yeah. for for future Torchwood stuff. I can't have it happen, so he had to change his plan. Um, and you know, in the end, he decided, oh, the clone doctor committed genocide. This is basically where Christopher Eccleston started off, and he'll the clone doctor needs Rose here to turn into like a proper human being who doesn't commit genocide. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it really works out in the end, but. I'm just not entirely satisfied with the fact that Rose gets two happy endings. Basically, I'm not really sure. Yeah, either. you know, like like I, I, I never had an issue with this ending. I always prefer I prefer the first Bad Wolf Beach ending when the Doctor's like Rose, I, and then vanishes because that's way more heartbreaking and emotionally devastating. Uh, which is what I want from Doctor Who. Uh, whereas this is like, hey, Rose, you can have sex with the guy that looks like me. Bye! <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's it, it does undermine, I think, the impact of the Rose Tyler I love you scene. But at the same time, it's finally a happy ending for yeah. Rose and the Doctor can move on because he knows that she's okay. You know, he doesn't need to obsess over Rose anymore. Um which he doesn't really. Rose never like she like I think the next time we properly see Rose, um, you know, like outside of like any like the fiftieth special and stuff like that, um, when Matt Smith's regenerating, and the tar like he's like give me give me like tar he's oh, talking yeah. to the Tardis and he's like show me someone I show me somebody I need somebody that I like the and he like shows Rose and he's like no not Rose <laughs> oh my god somebody else <laughs> like, yeah it's just a random PNG image of Billy Piper. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a weird, really weird inclusion. But this is the last proper time we see Rose, and they end the scene with just the human doctor and Rose looking at each other, which is a really nice image mm -hmm. to go out on because that's the image you remember. That's like a really happy image to just imagine them getting together. I wonder. I do wonder if they'll pop up like in a 60th anniversary. I, I don't think so. I think it's too much. I think it's like, you know, to then to be like, oh, by the way, Donna's back. Oh, by the way, Rose is back as well. Oh, and also the <laughs> crisis, uh, like met a doctor guy. He's back as well. Don't worry about it. Like all these guys are back. Uh, I think like, I don't think this story, like the thing with the Donna story is like, you can do more with it. Like what if she starts to remember again? Yeah. What else is there to do with Rose's story at this point? This is a, this is the bow is tied. You know, this is a happy ending. Um, you know, I don't think there's anything else, no reason to revisit. He could just really make the shippers happy, show the children, <laughs> just <laughs> you know. And, but um, you can just tell that Rose is basically Brussels' favorite character because he goes through extraordinary lamps to bring her up whenever he could. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the fact <laughs> that uh, Donna's daughter is now called Rose, and of course, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not. It's not only him that does it, because um, Stephen Moffat was obsessed with Clara for a bit. He made her the most important person in the universe, essentially. Clara, the most important person to ever exist, yeah. And then, of course, yeah. Chibnall did the same thing with Yaz, even though he forgot to give her a personality. <laughs> see, I like, I like Yaz a lot for one reason, and that reason is that she makes me love Clara. Because before Yaz, I was really not a fan of Clara, uh, like, at all. And then since having Yaz, <laughs> I long for the days when Clara was the companion. I absolutely miss her. I'm like, God, she had a personality. She had motives. Like, she she had, like, she was, like, a fully fleshed character. She was a whole person. I, I miss that, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> uh, remember that time uh, Yaz looked at her hand and it said, what would well, the yeah, doctor do? What would... What would the doctor do? Great Amazing. Stuff. So, yeah, so, so good. Uh, 
then we get a very heartbreaking scene where the doctor is left alone in the TARDIS with Donna and Donna's just kind of talking at him with science mumbo jumbo and the doctor's like you know what does it feel like to have my thoughts in your head and the Donna's like oh it's brilliant but then like as she's talking she gets like stuck on certain words and starts like malfunctioning almost like a computer you know she's like binary 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 until she like almost can't breathe uh and it's it's genuinely quite scary to watch like as a, like you know it's it's terrifying especially like as a kid seeing like you know a beloved character like this suddenly be like wait hang on wait what's wrong with them you know in a, in a very scary sort of way oh yeah as a kid i didn't pick up on the little hints that something is incredibly wrong here like when the doctor steps out of the tardis with donna on bad wolf Bay, it's a little reference to donna's new persona and the doctor doesn't smile at her or anything is he just really solemn mm-hmm. about the whole thing and you know as, as a kid i didn't pick that up but here is where the pieces really fit together and it's it's, it's a really fantastic performance from uh Catherine tate it's so yeah yeah she's great it's phenomenal and according to graham harper he chose the first take of this scene because that's obviously when you're the most emotional when you're able to pull on your emotions mm-hmm. the hardest because if you keep doing it for a hundred takes you're you get tired yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah just incredible scene and it's, it's just so heartbreaking even to this day jesus christ <laughs> hang on people are coming home come Uh, but yeah, then Donna, like, ends up, like, the doctor is like, I'm so sorry, Donna, but I have to, like, wipe your memory, and, like, you know, he does, like, his psychic connection thing that he does, um, thankfully it's not Matt Smith's one, like, you know, with David Tennant, he just needs to put the hands on the side of your head, you know, Matt Smith, he has to headbutt you, so, like, imagine, <laughs> like, God. sorry, Donna, I have to do this, <laughs> like, what episode was that again? I remember talking about uh, it. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember what episode he does it in. It's <laughs> one of his early things because I think he headbutts Amy or something yeah. like that, um, or possibly Rory. But he headbutts one of them for the the psychic connection. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it'd be it'd be amazing if that's how he had to do it to wipe Donna's memory. That's the absolutely bonker head. Uh, but, uh, we then get just the most heartbreaking ending scene of all time. Uh, when, you know, the Doctor goes to bring Donna back home, we see Willow all excited, being like, oh yeah, the Doctor and Donna are back, woohoo, opens the door to just torrential rain, and the Doctor holding Donna passed out in the doorway, being like, help me, uh, and then, like, taking her back in, and him explaining to, uh, Wilf and the mum, like, by, like she's not going to remember me and she can never learn about me if she learns about the things we did she's going to die you know like we need to this is it she's going to go back to how she was before she met me um which like usually i'm not a fan of doing character development and then taking away all that character yeah. development yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. it's like what the fuck was the point of that like but for i think the try i think they do such a good job selling the tragedy of that story with donna where it's like she she starts off as this person she goes through all this change and grows and develops to eventually saving the world and even the entire universe 
to then just end up reverting back to who she was before and not remembering it. Uh, and I think like the show does such a good job of selling that tragedy, that, which is one of the reasons why I'm so like hesitant still to be like about the 60th anniversary because I'm like, what if they ruin it? Oh. What if they ruin that the the amazing little tragic story that they've created? You know? Yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from, but from my point of view, Russell kind of already ruined it in the end of time, <laughs> where you know she walks out in her back garden and she sees John Sim everywhere and she. Ex- loads kind of and then she falls unconscious <laughs> like yeah which uh, we, yeah. we covered that episode we i wasn't too sure about that yeah scene. she doesn't she she doesn't do she doesn't do too much in that in that episode does it um but yeah and then we get of course the famous gift scene of yeah. the doctor standing in the rain uh looking all mopey and sad because this is of course a very mopey episode of doctor who uh, where Wolf is like, you know, Doctor, I'm always gonna, I'll always look up to the stars, I'll always think of you and stuff like that. And the Doctor's just staring at him, and it, it is, it's genuinely mm-hmm. so sad. And he just go, he just goes back into the TARDIS and takes off his like jacket, and then the and he's, he's miserable, and then the episode ends, and it's like, God, what a fucking mm-hmm. downer way to end the season. Like oh, this God, is the, yes. the last shot God, of the yes. series, and it's David Tennant being like fuck i'm so sad and then credits <laughs> and, <laughs> like... you know on the night this episode aired russell t davis is watching this episode and thinking of how amazing bernard cribbins is in this story and by 5 p.m on the tuesday after this episode airs he already has the plans together to bring back wilf in the end of time because he just does not want wilf to have a sad ending like this which is completely understandable because Bernard Cribbins just has so much personality and soul into his performance as uh, Wilf. Like, it's so effortless because he's just such a lovable grandpa, basically. He's, I'm so excited to see him come back, but you know I'm going to cry when he appears on screen. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to be so sad. And, it's going to be so sad. You know, as, as the Doctor is going away, uh, Wilf gives the Doctor a salute. And Russell D. Davis was worried kids might not understand the emotional impact of forgetting memories, basically. Like, if somebody dies, you can kind of understand the emotional impact as a kid. But forgetting yeah. memories is a bit weird because, you know, kids are still kind of forming memories for, of their own. We're not really sure <laughs> what memories are, basically. And, you know, kids can understand grief when not the act of forgetting, which is why he wrote the salute as a way of conveying Wilf's emotions about the situations. Uh, but then Russell mm-hmm. Davis was like, or maybe I'm overthinking this, because kids are smart. They, they figured it out. When I was 10 years old, I figured out the emotional impact of a scene. I didn't need to be yeah. handheld through the emotional scenes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, sometimes treating, like, you know, treating your audience... Mm-hmm as mature adults can help like it like never talk down to your audience yes. you know that's the thing isn't it you know like you, you people are smarter than you give them credit for they're able to understand these sorts of things and you know um, I, I give and, full credit to russell d davis because as a kid i felt like this was just the smartest program ever i never felt it was talking down to me as a child like he wanted yeah. kids to feel like they were respected and he, he, like, he goes into children's programming thinking they deserve so much better than what we're getting. They don't need to be handheld all the way through, which is such a great way to write for kids. It's perfect. <clears throat> it is. It is. It's it's superb. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Yeah, well. And the end of David Tennant. Yeah, uh, da- well, the episode ends with David Tennant just in the TARDIS alone 
upset yeah, in the, orig miserable. the original cliffhanger. I'm not sure if you've seen this original cliffhanger, but it would have had the Cybermen appearing inside of the TARDIS, setting up the Christmas oh. special. It was actually shot. And Ben Cook, who did the book with Russell D. Davis, suggested to Russell D. that a sad ending would be far more effective as the Cybermen in the TARDIS cliffhanger was a bit rubbish. And it's kind mm. of distracting from the fact that the Doctor just went through this great loss. And also, if you... I, yeah, I think I, I think I would undermine the emotional impact. And also, if you start the, the Christmas episode immediately after this story, like, the Doctor doesn't get a chance to breathe before he's, he's whisked yeah. away into another <laughs> adventure. He's going to spend the Christmas episode just depressed, wouldn't he? Like, and also, if, if, you, yeah. if you write him as happy... It's it's an immediate tonal shift, whereas you can imagine that time has moved on between Journey's End and the the next Doctor, which is the better way of doing it. Like it's perfect as it is. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And the Christmas special is a bit shit anyway, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> It, I rewatched it recently. Uh -huh. It's really solid for like the first half, and then falls apart at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah anyway uh that was journey's end a very heartbreaking episode of doctor who and a very solid episode of doctor who and now we wave goodbye to david tennant until later this year when he comes back <laughs> apparently uh as next week we will be looking at matt smith Crazy. matthew smith you himself as we are covering <laughs> the episodes the pandorica opens and the big bang to finish off september pandorica opens and big bang are some of the it's it's straight up one of the yes, best finales I'm, ever in Doctor Who. It's incredible. I haven't seen it in uh, so long, so I'm looking forward to go going back in to revisit it. Uh, Journey's yes. End and um, Stolen Earth, fantastic two-parter. So I'm excited to go for a mm -hmm. more sci-fi based story yes. from yes with Moffat. big with amazing monologue yeah an amazing monologue and such a it. such a great concept like um oh, Moffat God, yeah. was so good at coming up coming up with concepts and russell t davis as we said before is more of an emotional yeah. man so i'm looking forward to going into the series five final next week yeah, I can't wait. Uh, and so look forward to that. In the meantime, you can find this podcast on YouTube in video form uh, where you can watch us at youtube.com slash who watches who pod and you can see our lovely faces. If you are watching on YouTube, why not give us a little subscribe? That's cool. And give the video a thumbs up. Wow, social media. We're also available in audio form if that's how you prefer to consume your podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, anywhere you get podcasts. We even have an RSS link if you can just plug us into your favorite podcasting app of choice. Uh, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash who watches who, uh, where you can follow us for like updates and stuff about the show we also have a uh, twitter uh, x.com x.com page uh at watches doctor you can find us on there uh and until then we will see you next week i have a gaming channel called check it out gaming hobos you should subscribe to that it's very good uh and until then we will see you next week uh bye bye, -bye.